You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, listeners. I am so excited because Fairty is back as a sponsor this week. As you may know from listening to previous episodes, I am obsessed with Faraday and their clothing. I discovered this little store in the Pacific Palisades Village Mall in LA, and my husband Kyle and I just went crazy. They have amazing men's clothes and women's clothes that are so soft and great fabrics and colors and everything else, and I have been a fan for so long. So when they approached me to be um, a sponsor, I was like over the moon. um, they even did a little website for me on fairdybrand.com slash Zibby. So go to fairdy, spelled F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, brand.com slash Zibby, and you get 25% off all their clothes, which I have definitely used, and I have to stop at this point, but I keep buying their cozy sweaters and dresses that go with leggings, and um, I have this turtleneck light sort of brownish Heather Gray, I'm not describing it very well, but anyway, um, dress-ish thing that I've been wearing almost every day. Um, Kyle wears these jackets slash polo, um, not polo, button-down shirts, um, sort of indoor-outdoor um, I mean, we're stuck in the house anyway right now. But anyway, you have to go get 25% off with code Zibby, fairtybrand.com. Go check out their clothes. You'll see why I'm obsessed. I'm kind of sad to be revealing this little secret brand that I thought that we had only just discovered, but turns out a lot of people know about. And now you do too. So go check it out. And thanks, Fairty, for being a sponsor. Todd Jacobs and Peter Lynn are the co-authors of Not a Partnership, Why We Keep Getting Marriage Wrong and How We Can Get It Right. Todd is director of the David Robinson Institute for Jewish Heritage in Jerusalem, which he co-founded in 2005. Prior to his current teaching role, he counseled students and alumni and enjoyed a distinguished career on Wall Street as a leading authority on the telecom industry. As a managing director at J.P. Morgan and before that a partner at Sanford Bernstein & Company, Todd acted as a frequent commentator to leading newspapers, magazines, and TV networks and testified several times before the U.S. Congress as an expert on telecom and media policy. His credits in journalism, where he worked prior to Wall Street, include nominations for both the Pulitzer Prize for Investigative Journalism and the Emmy Award. Todd lives in Jerusalem with his family. Peter Lynn, the co-author, has served as Dean of Students at the David Robinson Institute for Jewish Heritage since its inception. He holds an MA in Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania and is founder and director of The Greatest Within Seminars, where he empowers individuals and organizations through the application of positive psychology. An accomplished athlete and Ironman finisher, Peter was captain of the U.S. World Duathlon team. He lives in Jerusalem with his family. Welcome, Todd and Peter, to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for coming on my show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. And thank you also for your contribution to married couples everywhere with your book, Not a Partnership, Why We Keep Getting Marriage Wrong and How We Can Get It Right. Tell me about how the two of you teamed up to write this book to help everyone else. Sure. Maybe maybe I'll jump in here. So Peter and I have been working together, teaching, counseling at an institute in Jerusalem that I co-founded back in 2005. And it is it was not our intention when we opened up this, this institute to primarily deal with issues of marriage and relationships. What the institute really is based in is kind of best and brightest young men in their 
let's call it their 20s and 30s primarily, you know, average age around uh, close to 30. These are guys who want to take about a year off, minimum two years maximum, and they want to come and they want to delve into classical Jewish text, philosophy, Jewish law, Hebrew language, character building, leadership training, ethics, things like that. And one of the things we found over the years was that, you know, these guys were kind of amazingly well prepared for pretty much everything in life. They had many times Ivy League backgrounds. They had, you know, incredible academic backgrounds, incredible professional backgrounds, you know, in a whole host of professions. And yet there was kind of a common theme that everybody seemed woefully unprepared for something that they all claimed was the most important thing that they were looking forward to. And that was their their married life someday. And yet they didn't really have a clue like how to do that successfully. And I think that's a, a common theme that we that we see in our society, almost no matter how well educated you are and what kind of professional background you have, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And then of the other 50% that remain married, how many of them are really sparkling, perfect role modeled kind of marriages for people to grow up and say, aha, you know, that's what a great marriage looks like. People are marrying later. So even, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess for many, many people. We just started delving into a, a combination of things. One was Peter has an incredible background in positive psychology. And I started delving into a lot of the kind of classic mystical works and later what's called Musar works of character building that are kind of classic Jewish ways of preparing people for marriage, young men, young women. And we found that by pulling those two things together, we started merit, doing marriage education. And after doing that for a decade and a half, we looked back and we saw, wow, you know, our, the couples that were formed out of kind of the training that we were involved with have a divorce rate that is one-tenth of the national average, which, doesn't, you know, which means some people get divorced, but still it's a 5% divorce rate instead of a 50% rate. We thought, well, this is, you know, this is maybe something that we should be sharing more broadly. And that was, the, that was really the, the decision to think about doing a book, in which we subsequently did. Do the people who came to the counseling opt-in, like is it a representative sample or is it people who are particularly already invested in making their marriage work? This is mostly an opt-in group. In other words, this was 95% of the students who come to us are unmarried when they come, as again, whether they're in their 20s or in their 30s. Very few of them are, are already married or have been married. So it's kind of like a, you know, it's like a, it's like a, it's almost like a clean slate of, uh, you know, clean, a clean piece of paper, clean piece of parchment to start kind of like writing some of the, you know, foundational ideas of marriage on. And, and obviously they have to unlearn lots and lots and lots of bad paradigms we all grow up with and get used to from, whether it's from Hollywood movies or social media or all the kind of influences that, that have a, an influence on the way we think about relationships. We just found that, you know, A, they got more interested in having a real relationship as they became less fearful of it. And B, we found that by having some level of preparation for what a great relationship looks like and what the role of a spouse is, we just found that people were way more ready for it. And then when issues came up, much more prepared to deal with the issues as well. And by the way, we, you know, we've been kind of holding the hands of those who invited us to be, you know, remain part of the kind of counseling in their relationships as time went on. And so we've seen the ideas not only play out in terms of preparing for marriage, we've also seen them play out in fixing problems that have come up and dealing with problems that, you know, that have, uh, that have been difficult you know, in the early years or even in some cases, the middle years of marriage by this point. About how many people do you think you've counseled in person at this point? 
probably upwards of 150, something like that, different couples. That's great. The part that I, that spoke to me like right away that I just loved, you give so much advice, obviously in the book, but we were talking about how in order to invest in a marriage, you have to give more and how people have just the wrong framework to think about marriage and how the way you love a dog, the more you take care of something, the more you love it or him or her or whatever. Mm -hmm. He said, there was a great rabbi who pointed out that people have the concept of love exactly backwards. We go through life with the assumption that if someone will do for me, will care for me, will give to me properly, then of course I will love them in response. But the truth of the matter is that it's exactly the opposite. We love where we give. Why do parents love kids more than kids love parents? Because they give more. And you keep going and you say you have to flip your whole paradigm. Well, this is the rabbi, but you have to give the whole paradigm and start giving and giving and giving to her. And then you'll love her. Then you'll have a real marriage. And then you actually, you had said this to a group and someone responds by saying, whoa. <laughs> and this is like a highly educated group. You were like on a road show, right? You were in finance before. We were, yeah, we were on a road show. It was three or four of us from JP Morgan. And my background was, uh, was as a Wall Street analyst and a few, few senior consultants from McKinsey and Company. So again, they, you know, high powered, highly educated group of people. And I think everybody on the plane was married at some stage. And there were, you know, the oldest person on the plane was probably in his late 50s. And it went down to this young guy who I was talking to in that story, who was in the, the beginning of the story was, you know, we're 30,000 feet in this private jet. And this young analyst starts complaining about his wife, that she just, you know, she's just not doing it for him anymore, like she used to, you know, she doesn't take care of him. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't, she's not as kind to him. She's not as, you know, sweet to him. You know, and he's falling out of love with her, you know, so he's just like, you know, kind of tired of it. And that's when I told him, you know, you're, you got to flip your paradigm like this rabbi taught us that, you know, you love where you give. So I said, if you want to start loving your wife, instead of waiting for her to give to you so that you'll love her in return, try giving to her and see what happens. And the, and the beautiful ending of the story was that two months later, he comes up to me in the office and he says, you won't believe it. He said, I'm like madly in love with my wife again. <laughs> You know, I've fallen in love with her again because I, I decided I had nothing to lose by taking your advice. And I started, you know, giving and giving and doing things for her and buying her things and taking care of her and taking her out, and you know, whatever it was. And he said, and suddenly I find myself like really, you know, that I'm totally in love with her again. So, you know, we've seen this play out. I mean, just countless times that, you know, you want to love, start giving. Wow. It seems so simple. And so obvious and yet it's just not how any of us think about it and how crazy that you can literally turn love back on in a snap just by shifting something right i feel like love is so elusive like oh i had it but now it's gone or i fell out of love right you know it seems like it's such a whimsical thing but in fact it's very can be very intentional so and that that, that's one of the things that that we speak about so often in the book is that you know great marriages are built and when people make proactive efforts to build their marriage, and especially via this, you know, you know, we always say the, the book speaks about the ultimate PDF manual of how to make your marriage function at full capacity. And that's basically one word, which is giving. So when people proactively engage in their marriage by giving, it's, it's unbelievable to see. And, you know, what's fascinating is that the person who benefits the most is the person who's doing the giving. Just all of the great feelings that it brings and you see this, you know, it's, it's in my background in the field of positive psychology, there's a whole world called positive interventions, meaning what can you do in order to bring more positivity into your life? Some of some practical things. 
So the, according to the research, the fastest and quickest intervention for you to get out of your bad state of being, whatever that is, you're in a, having a bad day, a rough week, is the fastest thing you can do is start giving to someone and you'll see the quickest results as far as a change in your mood. So it's like, it's really quite amazing to see it. You see it across the board. Although I would say, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking of moms in particular who might argue with this and who have, give so much that they get, that they almost have nothing left. Like you could, you can overdo it, right? I feel like if you're always caring for other people and never even so much as taking care of yourself, that's also not good. Listen, when, when people don't take care of themselves, so then a lot of times the giving comes from an unhealthy place. And of course, there's a healthy degree of, you know, this is giving in a, in a normal capacity. This is giving in a healthy manner. And we've all seen it manifest in unhealthy ways. So you're right. When it happens in an unhealthy way, when people don't take care of themselves, then the whole system falls apart very fast. So what else do I need to know? I'm give, so now I've decided I want to quickly change my mood. I'm going to start giving immediately, perhaps in a new way, right? Or to people I don't normally give to or to find fulfillment and my own happiness. And maybe that will enable me to just pretending, theoretical me. Obviously, I already do everything perfectly. But I'm just <laughs> Anyway, now I can turn around and give back to my husband. What else do I need to know 100% that you have found is like the gold undiscovered gold of, of marital happiness? Well, you know, it, the, the way we constructed the book, the book has kind of big picture paradigms, conceptual frameworks that we feel are, you know, critical to having a healthy marriage and to thinking about it properly. And then the second half of the book is all practical implementation of how do you get there? We think that if you really boil down the big picture concepts, they boil down to three paradigms. One of them we just spoke about, which is that you love where you give. A second is to, and maybe it's really the first, is to get a definition that's a little deeper than we normally think of in terms of what marriage is. You know, we, when, when we started looking at the book, we, started, you know, we said, like, how should we define marriage? Well, you can define it. You can define it legally. You can define it the way Webster's defines it. You can go on, you know, HuffPost and see what they call marriage. But, but really what we found was that there's a much, much deeper picture you can start out with, and then, and then you begin to act in accordance with it. And the picture, that, as we've defined it, is that marriage is two people coming together, completely committed to acting in the capacity as a spouse that my beloved needs me to act in. And and committing that through thick and thin, I will help try to give that person the life that they want and deserve. Now, obviously, an unhealthy version of that would be a little bit what you were describing a moment ago, which is that if somebody is like the one-way giver and the other side is dysfunctional, doesn't notice it, has no gratitude, it can be very, very problematic. But if two people walk into a marriage not with the idea of what can I get out of this, but what can I put into this to build that person, then what happens is that two people can really build something much, much bigger than the two of them, not lose themselves in that process, but really find themselves in that process and become bigger in that process by building the other. It's, it's, a, it's really, a, it's almost a cosmically, you know, unbelievable dynamic. The two people can build something so special, but it is focused on the other but as Peter pointed out, the biggest beneficiary, ironically, winds up being you yourself. 
So it's not that you kind of manipulate and it's a calculated thing. I really want a great life, so I'm going to try and give this person so I really become the, the happy. No, it's, it, it really is focused on the other, but it turns out that the consequence of that is that you yourself wind up becoming bigger and the bigger you become and the bigger you see yourself and the more you're able to give and the less selfish you are, a person can really have an incredibly happy experience. So that's kind of, you know, paradigm one is define marriage as a vehicle for giving and for building the other person and for building something much bigger than the two of us. But that just, sorry, just to jump in. Sure. That, yeah, impl- yeah. that implies you're both able to do that and that you both want to give to the other person and that you possess those traits and skills. And so often, I know you just quickly mentioned this, that, you know, obviously it can become very problematic, but you have like abusive spouses and you have people who cheat on their spouses or narcissists or all sorts of people who are not upholding their end. And then how do you, then it doesn't matter how much the other person wants to put in, you can't do anything about it. Right. So, so then it's almost a lost cause. So I think it's like, you have to choose it's almost like it go, It starts before all of this, which is you have to choose someone who's on the same page with you about the giving itself, right? So it's almost, it almost starts before the practice. It starts in the choice, essentially, right? That's a, and that's what we speak about so much is that, you know, like, like Todd was describing, we find that these, you know, especially the students we were dealing with and many places we've spoke, you know, many places we, we, we've kind of lectured at is that we find that people spend so much time preparing for so many things in their life, especially their professional lives, getting ready for it and this degree and that degree and you name it. And then we saw as people are walking into the most important thing in their life, you know, you ask them what's their number one priority, they're going to say their marriage and they were totally unprepared. And what we feel is so important is if people have these ideas clear before they go into a marriage, they're going to make a much healthier choice. Now, let's be very clear. Things do come up. People have psychological issues that come up. People have, these things need to be dealt with 100%. But imagine if you have two people who get married and they're on the same page as far as what they're getting themselves into, that's already so far ahead of the game, which can really be a game changer, especially as things could become rocky later on. What if people yeah. really change? Because that's another thing. Like you can you can feel like that and say that at the beginning, and yet as life progresses and things happen, someone kind of deviates from the the sort of emotional contract, if you will. You're you're 100 right. And look, we th- there's kind of many stages at which we think this information, this education, can be helpful. Obviously, in a perfect world, we educate our children, our students, to kind of be ready for marriage. By the way, most people that stand and face each other to take those vows or whatever marital ceremony that they're going to have, whatever that looks like, generally speaking, if you ask those two people, what's on your mind right now? They will tell you, I just want to make the other one happy. I mean, when people enter into that relationship, sort of what we're talking about is top of mind. Mm -hmm. The The problem is they don't realize that a lot of things are going to happen in the early stage of marriage. First of all, the freshness is going to wear off, right? There's a natural kind of explosive energy in the beginning of a relationship, which people think mistakenly is what's called love. And as soon as that begins to fade, and by the way, that's not called love. That's a, that's a free gift called inspiration, getting me involved with this person, helping me see the greatness of this person and downplay some of the... And by the way, nobody's perfect, right? So we need some way... Of, of seeing something in a person 
that just really draws us to who that person is. But, but when that fades, what you're left with is a choice, which is, okay, am I going to now decide that I am committed to, by the way, rebuilding and getting back through a process of work and toil and sweat and energy, by the way, which is pleasurable if you do it correctly. That, that shouldn't sound so negative. I know it does, but it shouldn't. But, but that thing that you got for free in the beginning, you can actually earn through the process of building your marriage over a period of time. So really, the, the ultimate goal is that the two of you are as, as in love, but in a much more meaningful way that you've earned as you were in that in that beginning stage. So if you do it, so kind of let's call it part part one is let's hope that, the, that you think about this before you get married so that you can face this. Now, obviously, probably lots of your listeners and certainly lots of our readers are people who are now in a marriage. And as you're describing, you know, financial problems came up, a health problem came up, this issue came up. Things like infidelity, by the way, are very, very hard to, that's very, very hard to put back trust into a relationship. That, and that's a little bit sort of outside of, that often needs professional help. And many times that's going to wind up in a, in a broken marriage. I mean, there, and there are also dysfunctional people, no question about it. There are people who absolutely cannot function in a marriage because of their narcissism, selfishness, uh, dysfunctionality, et cetera. But that's not the vast majority of people, and it doesn't need to be. So what we found is, you know, somebody may be married, and the marriage is not so fresh, and it's not going so well, and they're getting a little tired of each other, and this one's kind of ignoring in, in their own space, and this one's kind of ignoring in their own space. And they just kind of, you know, the, the old habits begin to resurface about being kind of a selfish person and like they were before they got married. What we have found is by refocusing on the idea of giving and b- making it fresh and, sh- and beginning to build respect again. You know, we, we have, I'll give you just a classic example. You know, when, when two people are meet and they're going out, you know, they do everything possible to impress each other, right? Like you think about when I was dating my wife-to-be, you know, when you were dating your spouse-to-be, how did we dress? How did we speak? How did we smell? How did we look? How did our hair look? You know, how courteous were we? You know, people like we're, we're so you say to somebody, well, okay, now try to build that snapshot in your mind of what you were like when you were dating. Now take a little snapshot of yourself on the average evening at home. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a, it, that's, that's a cringeworthy moment for most of us. And that's an embarrassment because if you think about it, why am I not still doing that for the most important person in my world? I mean, by the way, when I go to work, I don't look like that. When I go to work, I don't sound like that. When I go to work, by the way, I'm wearing nice clothing and I'm I'm made up and I look good and I smell good. Yeah, you're making I watch me feel bad. <laughs> well, I mean, but, well, it, it, it unfortunately makes us. When am I supposed us, it, to wear my sweatpants? No, I can't. Well, no, but you can, but you can wear your sweatpants, and that's fine. <laughs> you don't. You're not meant to be formal at home, but you are meant to. We, I say you, we, we are meant to remember that the person across the table, across the room, in the other room is the person that is the most important person in my entire universe. That's the person who deserves the best I've got. That's the person who deserves the most respect from me. Unfortunately, what we do is we let our guard down because everybody, we know we want some place we can be ourselves, so to speak. And then, and, and by the way, one of the arguments I sometimes, we, you know, we, we've, we've talked to couples about this and the pushback is usually, hey, come on, I, that was, I was acting when I was going out. You know, I gotta be myself when I'm at home. 
And the response to that is no, sometimes you need to act at home as well. And by the way, the, the classic example there is when you come home and you're in a rotten mood and your three-year-old runs up to you and says, mommy, daddy, you know, come sit with me on the floor. I want to show you my finger paintings. You know, I have 400 finger paintings. I want you to see every single one of them. And you're tired and you're in a horrible mood and your boss yelled at you and you lost a deal and whatever it is. So aren't you going to act? Aren't you going to put on a huge smile and say, nothing I'd love to do more than sit down with you on the floor right now for the next hour and look at bad finger paintings? I mean, it's all an act. Now, it's acting, but it's not, it's not acting in a negative way. It's becoming really what I want to become if I have control over myself. I want to be a good father. You want to be a good mother. We want to be good spouses. So it's just really rising to the occasion and not letting our lower self drag us down in ways that affect others in very, very negative ways, which they don't deserve. Wow. This is like amazing. <laughs> you guys have to like, I mean... You should, first of all, you need to give this to every rabbi. I don't know if you already do this. I don't know what your marketing plan is or was or whatever, but any rabbi who's marrying people should be giving this to their congregants, like at least, right? So already then that's like, you know, I have a bunch of cousins who are about to get married and now I'm like, oh, perfect. You know, obviously I can give this to married friends, but that's a little bit insulting. Like. <laughs> <laughs> You guys need some help, but here's my, here's a book, but as a gift, like this should be the go-to gift and and not just for Jewish people at all. I mean, I happen to be Jewish, but this is just lessons sort of culled from Judaism that apply to any relationship. So it should really, we we tried, we tried to make it, we tried to make it universal and you you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be spiritual. You just have to want a real relationship for this, for this material to speak to you. That's what we, that's certainly what we believe. I mean, it's common sense. If you think you're not, you're not hawking anything totally, you know, out there. This is like, this all makes perfect sense as, as you laid out so nicely and neatly in the book, interspersed with lots of personal stories and work and da, da, da. But, you know, it's something that everybody really needs to hear. So it's great that, and you should do class. Do you do like personal sessions? I feel like I want to get, <laughs> like I want to have the two of you like talk to all these people I love before they get married and just be like, okay, like you should take couples. You should like charge a fortune and have a bunch of people come and like get the, the download if they, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's uh-huh. ins- marital insurance, you could call it, you know. <laughs> right, right. You should know also what I just want to just push back a little bit is that what we do find is that, you know, even people who are married, you're married 10 years, you're married 15 years, even more than that, is that I find that if you take a couple, we tend to think, okay, you know, this is the way it's going to be and this is what it is. And what we have found is that when you take couples who are married for a period of time, and they kind of make the switch to, hey, let's put some work into this. Let's try and change the patterns a bit. You can take an okay marriage or even a good marriage, and with a little bit of effort and some marriage education, it's awesome what can happen. And you can now take a couple that's been married, you know, who are in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s, and they find that spark again. And so, you know, it's almost funny for me, I'm almost more excited about reaching out to those couples than I am about the ones before they get married. I agree with you. Before they get married, it's crucial. But I think that's important that so many couples out there in some way give up when they've gotten to a certain place in their marriage and they have a certain amount of kids and they say, okay, this is what it is. And the answer is it doesn't have to be that way. And with a little bit of effort and some tools out there and, 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 and 
We do not lack access to tools. You know, there are 10 trillion social media, you know, platforms that are discussing marriage and relationships and this, there's so much out there with just making a small amount of effort to say, let's change things up a little bit. Let's learn some new things. It can take a marriage, which could really use a bit of freshness. It can, and it can take it to that next level. And it's really amazing what can happen. Wait, and I think I cut you off before because you said that it, there were three things that divided up the book. One, you know, the second one was where we had started. Then you introduced the first one. You have to finish off now with the third. Yeah, sure. And the, the, uh, absolutely. And the, the third paradigm is that marriages don't happen. They are made. And, and this, I think, as much as that sounds like sort of obvious, if you actually take a look and think about how we grow up thinking about love, it's all passive. I fell in love. I was swept off my feet. I was, you know, it's all kind of like, and especially, by the way, now where we're in a world where things don't last very long and we crave newness, you combine kind of the, the, let's call it the social media experience where I'm always seeing that everybody, everybody else, everything in everybody else's lives looks always fantastic and fresh and wonderful. And then I've got this vision that love is passive and I just fall in love. And if I could just meet the right soulmate, by the way, they say in Corona, you, got, you don't need a soulmate, you need a cellmate, okay? <laughs> a, C, a CELL mate. But at any rate, but at any rate, this idea that that it's kind of passive and I find my soulmate and that everything's just supposed to be fine as long as I find the right person, we think that that's com- almost completely wrong. Obviously, you need to try to find the right person. You need to find a person whose values you share, who you're attracted to, who you respect, who respects you. You get that person, they get you. That's kind of the, you know, the, the, the fundamental, let's call it the, the, you know, the, the gating factor for, for, mer- for committing to somebody. But the point is, is that once that commitment happens, you have to realize that it will require giving work, thinking about it, prioritizing it. And, and without that backdrop, without that kind of big picture that, that paints everything I do in marriage, I will fall naturally back into the Hollywood romance you know, vision, which is they meet, they sweep each other off their feet. Usually something bad happens. It separates them. And at the end of the movie, they fall into each other's arms again. The curtain goes down and that's the end of the movie. But of course, we all know that the next day the curtain comes back up and it's, you know, and that is now, you know, act two, scene one, where the choice is going to be made. Oh, wow. That person is not quite as exciting as I thought they were. Not quite as funny, not quite as attractive. I've been duped again by life. Or I can say, wait a minute, I got into this and now I'm going to start actually prioritizing it, working on it, building it. So, you know, A is get your marriage vision right. B is realize that you love where you give and the more you give, the more you will love. And C, realize that this will be a process of making this work and investing in it. And by the way, it's a high, I, my background is investments. I will tell you, I never found a higher return investment than <laughs> marriage. <laughs> because because the, the well-being and the and the intimacy and the trust and the and, and the whole you know the, the, almost everything a person wants and needs to have a meaningful happy life can lie in a powerfully good relationship and and we just believe that it's not something that just happens to that lucky few we, we really believe that anybody almost at any stage as long as it's not totally been destroyed by dysfunctionality and and abuse and things like that can really 
can really restart their marriage and get it and get it moving again. Wow. Thank you guys so much. See, you gave now I'm, I'm just taking, but it still improved my mood. So, you know, now I'm going to go give this back to the people in my life who I think could really use it, including everybody listening, but fantastic book, fantastic advice love the whole framework. And I am like sad to not be on Zoom with you guys for the rest of the day. So you can help me through <laughs> all my inevitable stumbles. And it's just such a good reminder to just step up for your marriage, you know, just step it up and do little nice things and like maybe, you know, leave a little note somewhere and it doesn't have to be such a big thing, just like little things make such a big difference. So thank you for this 100%. reminder. And thank you for all your time. Thank okay. you so much for having us. We really, really appreciate it. Okay. And keep up all the great work. Thank you. You too. <laughs> thank all you right. very much. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks again to Faraday for being a sponsor today. Go to faritybrand.com slash Zivi and get 25% off. Enter code Zivi for 25% off these amazing, comfy winter clothes and summer, but for now winter, and you will thank me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 